0: Hello everybody, this is Christian
1: Thwaites of Brian Janikowski. Welcome to our monthly market update. Uh, I'm Christian Thwaites and I'm joined here by Rita Lee.
0: Good afternoon everyone.
1: Um, And this is a new format for us. We're using a new system, uh, Zoom. So please let us know either by email or drop us a a call if for some reason it's not working your end. Uh, But hopefully you can hear us well. Um, And also see uh, the same screens that we're doing because we might use some some slides during the during the meeting on the Q&A format just for this month. We're not able to get the voice uh, questions and answers, but we there should be a little icon on your screen somewhere which says Q&A and it's usually down at the bottom. um, And if you press that, then you uh, a dialog box should open up and you ought to be able to. Ask questions using that little text box. So hopefully you can do that anytime. So feel free to ask questions that way. Okay. So just jump right in. We are, the the um, title of our call was around, you know, will consumers derail the economy? This is obviously a very important, uh, you know, part of the overall economy for us. Um, and uh, so before we get to that, I'd just like to talk about, you know, what other parts of the economy are doing. Obviously, we've seen some great numbers on the uh, on the markets generally this year. So the S&P, uh, as of this morning, is up about 24%. Uh, international and small cap has lagged a little bit, but not by very much. Small cap's up about 17%, mid cap up about 22%. Um, and depending, the international is up about 21%, uh, and Europe up about 17%. So a lot of things have all... And have gone up in the same direction. If you remember, just kind of wind our way back to this time last year where the economy was going through some pretty tough hurdles. Trade, which seems to be a perennial subject on an almost daily basis, was not looking too good back then. Uh, you know, the tariffs were ratcheting up, uh, but most importantly, the Fed was uh, ratcheting. in the other direction was, doing, had done, was coming to their fourth and final uh, rate increase of the year. So the economy was definitely slowing down um, and, uh, and the markets really took a deep dive and sort of bottomed out on 23rd of December. Um, this year, we've obviously had a reversal of that right, right, right away in January. The Fed came out and said, I think we're going to reverse some of this. Or we're going to ease off uh, doing any further increases. And at this point, they've reversed three out of the four rate increases, which they did uh, in 2018. So we've had three cuts. We don't expect another one. But generally, the, the Fed has been you know, pretty accommodative, uh, as the economy has slowed. And right now, uh, this is actually a very good environment for uh, financial assets, particularly stocks. Uh, GDP is kind of low uh, and slowing, but not in recession. Uh, and interest rates are very low. Um, and actually, that those two combinations are very good for stocks, especially just because on the low interest rate, on the low inflation, it means low real interest rates, and uh, and it makes the discounting factor for stocks look that much more attractive. And with GDP being low, it basically means that there's no risk that the Fed will, uh, will increase rates, which they would do in a high growth economy. Um, but it's also likely that they're going to stay put, which means that um, people are fairly confident about rates staying the same. So now we've got a pretty clear outlook for the Fed, a slowing economy, but not into reversal. Uh, and hence, I think that's explained much of the October bounce uh, where we've seen the S&P up about 8%. So that's a good environment. What does the GDP look like? Well, there's kind of weak spots and strong spots. And the, the number of weak spots far outweighs the number of strong spots. But in terms of weight of the economy, it's the other way around. So let's just look at the things which are not doing too well. Uh, anything which you can touch, manufacture, order, or use to build stuff is really not doing well. So industrial, manufacturing, capital goods, orders of all of those, inventories of all of those, uh, and exports uh, of all of those. Now, some of that is trade related for sure, but some of it is just general um, global weakness. Uh, as we've mentioned many times before, you know China's weak for reasons other than just the trade uh, tariffs. On the plus side, however, we've got housing, important part of the economy for its wealth effect. People feel like they have more money uh, at their disposal if they if they're paying less on their mortgages or they feel their house prices are going up. Employment, which um, has been at these at these lows for quite a while, uh, and average hourly earnings, which are holding up pretty well. In fact, um, I came across an interesting statistic the other day that um, a recession hasn't really never happened unless you see a downturn in real average uh, hourly earnings. And we've been seeing increases in real terms of about one, one and a half percent. It doesn't sound great, but you know, it's certainly enough to keep away the, um, the, the recessionary fears. And as we've mentioned many times, we see a slowdown, uh, a little bit more anemic growth trending back, and even this quarter is likely to be, you know, be lucky to get up to 1%, but not into recession. So on the trade side, boy, um the number of times we've had this kind of Flip-lops. phase phase yeah, <laughs> phase one is on, Phase one is off. Uh, the, the December tariffs are coming on, they're coming off, they're going to be postponed and these are the big ones because these are the ones which hit 20% of consumer goods. So so far a lot of the stuff has been intermediate goods and has been, uh, been consumers have been sheltered from it, but it'd be tough to, uh, know, for importers to not pass on some of those increases if they go through. So um, you, you really, you follow the the kind of Chinese end things uh, a, a lot. And what are you seeing on that side? What do you think the next step on the, uh, on the trade talks is going to be?
0: If I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's certainly unsettling. I think um, there is a new renewed tension between China and um, United States, so mainly the, the trade negotiator and uh, Trump, because of uh, unclear signals coming in and out of the uh, White House um, and also from the Chinese side. Um, the interesting thing is um, weakness, uh, you know, keep, weak numbers keeps coming, keep coming out from China day after day. Mm -hmm. So we know that, um, you know, internally they are not doing well. One interesting um, thing that happened, you all know about the single stay, November 11, and you also know the golden week, October 1st, through, you know, about for 10 days. So this year, um, October 1st, golden week, the number of money spent on travel significantly declined by about 20%. 20%. So that's, that tells, that tells us that the the Chinese consumer is, uh, you know, a little bit more Cautious. But then November 11, Singles Day, everyone went spending. Uh, Alibaba went up crazy um, in terms of sales. Uh, you know, the whole one day sale uh, is the total of our whole week of Black Friday and Thanksgiving and Monday and all that. But it's not all good signs because uh, we need to know what uh, the consumer, the Chinese consumers are funding their purchases from. Uh, and they don't really have a lot of disposable income other than from their parents. So, there are lots of stuff underneath there. But all in all, um, a trade deal, some type of a trade deal is important for China. Yes. Uh,
1: And I've thrown up on the screen here uh, an area we like to look at, which is the American soybean. So, this is important for a number of reasons because there's, there's a uh, look at the two line charts. One is the rolling 12-month average of soybean exports. And for the purpose of this discussion, nearly all of US soybean exports go to China. Uh, and the other one, uh, I'm a bit colorblind, but it's the, gr- the green line. You can <laughs> see it spiking in about uh, early 2018 at about $5 billion a month of soybean exports. It then collapses down to about 250 million. So that's a 95% decrease. And basically, what China did was switch their soybean uh, purchases to Brazil. So I think what's going to be happening is that um, uh, the quickest way to get a win from the U.S. side, I mean, the biggest things the U.S. exports to China is things like airplanes and big manufacturing goods. But if you order a triple seven now, it's not going to be ready for three years. It's not going to show up in the export numbers. But if they decide okay. to buy soybeans, they can make they can turn it back on in a month. So I think you'll you'll see that line is recovered a little bit. We're going to get back probably to where where we were when this all started. Um,
0: so there's no gain. There's no gain. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But there's a nice bounce from the bottom.
0: So, while we are t- focusing on soy, Christian, I was focusing on pork. <laughs> so um,
1: And the two are linked. Uh,
0: yes. So, the Chinese people actually have, have, have been eating more more, more meat and um, they consume twice as much pork as the United States. And it turns out 96% of pork generated from not generated, Rays from the U.S. Uh, in the Carolinas are sent to China. So, yeah, we're focusing on soy. Yeah, that's a big number. It's a feedstock and, and, and it's a feedstock. But they are buying other things from us as well that are not really discussed.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, I think one case will be we're kind of back to where we were. we mm-hmm. all started. There's some victories which are claimed. Uh, whether, again, it's the, uh, the IP and the forced technology transfer seem to be the two big hang-ups, and, uh, and, and we'll be able to get back. I've always thought that there would be a deal, reader. It just may, uh, you know, if you pick it apart too much, it won't look great, but I think it'll have a headline
0: factor. Absolutely. Agree.
1: But otherwise, um, you know, you can get any members of the White House, you know, Cuddler versus Leitzinger versus Manushkin versus Trump can talk about, things are, uh, uh, phase one is just around the corner, and then no, we don't have any. Uh, we're and it's the same way it, on
0: the Chinese side. And we side. just gotta
1: take that, yeah. you know, with it is. Interestingly, out of all of this, again, sort of uh, in the last uh, 12, 12 months, um, actually since 2005, America's export growth has been the same as that of Germany and South Korea, and much higher than Japan. So, you know, uh, <laughs> there's an over concentration on this trade side for sure, but, um, um, It actually, some of the underlying uh, businesses and industries have not been doing too badly. Let's move quickly before we get to the consumer to the EU, because as many of you know, there's this protracted, endless negotiations of Brexit. I won't bore you with the details, except that there's a general election coming up in about uh, less than a month. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it'll probably go through, but it's going to take two or three years to fully exit. There's... Don't mistake we have a deal with there actually being uh, something which can be workable. I think it's going to take at least three, of, you know, let's say two or three years before everything is kind of settled out. Meanwhile, I think Europe is in a slightly better frame of mind. Germany flirted with recession to the last quarter of GDP was very, 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 very low. Um, but they're very dependent on the auto manufacturers and what we've shown here is just, if you can see the second slide is that we've just shown the enormous borrowing capacity that Germany has. So this is Germany's budget deficit and as a percentage of, of um, of, of, uh, GDP. Yeah. So it's, a. Uh, it's, the total outlying deficit it, deficit is about 61% of, of GDP. The annual one is about 1.8. Just by comparison with the US, we're closer to six for the annual and about 110% for the total. So enormous amounts of borrowing power. You can see it just, those lines have fallen off a cliff, which is sort of you know, the um, uh, early part of the um, uh, post, post-financial crisis. And then you can see bigger deficits at the turn of the century, which is all to do with unification costs. But so, you know, the perennial hope here is that if Europe gets, if looks any weaker, then Germany can kind of somewhat come to the rescue. I don't know if they will, but I think that that's a feeling that they have an enormous amount of borrowing capacity. So, you know, the idea of a total of totals of collapse in global GDP and Europe really plummeting, I think, is is exaggerated. Europe, you know, can can come back and has the capacity come back. And it's showing up in, in the stocks?
0: Well, last three years, uh, the, the DEX, the German um, exchange, has been up 8% annualized. And what's it up and, this year now? And um, this year, it's up uh, close to 20, I believe. Yeah, so it's not bad.
1: Same as the U.S., which is great. You know, I think I think what you're happening in Germany is you're seeing all the bad news is kind of flushed out, and people are sort of feeling, well, it can come back again. So that argues, I think, for us to can, continue to have a healthy... Exposure to international, and, and we
0: have yes.
1: Good. So let's just go to the consumer, which is this last uh, chart. And um, so the consumer, as many of you know, is around about seventy percent of the U.S. GDP. Um, now they can be influenced by what's going on in the manufacturing cycle for sure. And uh, you know, if if companies start laying off businesses, then households will be um, will be hurt. But this is. I think an important chart because it shows just that the the U.S. uh, household indebtedness has come way down and stayed down. So it's now about the same level as it was almost 20 years ago. So, and this is taking all of the, you know, outstanding loans, mortgages, credit cards, student loans, auto, whatever you think think about, and just summing it up as a as a percentage of their um, of 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 either GDP or you can run it over GDP or you can run it over Total personal income. You can't the same number. Is that the 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 the, the consumer is very very cautious post crash, and I always think that unless they get, um, uh, unless if consumers are highly leveraged and they've suddenly got to you know, uh, pay back their spending very quickly because of high indebtedness, and that's a problem. But right now they seem to have very you know low debt. And There's no sign at all that uh, even low interest rates are are enticing people to take on more household debt. So I think that's I think that's good news. And um, and so the short answer to the to the topic question is no. I don't think the consumer will derail uh, the uh, the economy. And that's what and if they did, then that's what it would take it into recession far quicker than the industrial manufacturing export import problems. And we're seeing some good numbers on housing. Um, Housing starts up about eight percent, permits up about five percent, and that we'd expect because monetary policy has oh anywhere from a six to a nine-month mm-hmm. time lag. So really, what's happening now is uh, is, um, is is people either refinancing or going out and buying as a result of seeing those rates coming through. And we heard an interesting statistic this morning from our friends at Double Line. Do you remember what they said about the uh, uh,
0: refinancing? The Refinancing has been slow. Uh- not caught up with the consumers because there was a lack of uh, processing power in the banks. Instinct.
1: So the banks who had all this capacity to take your mortgages <laughs> ten years ago now right. don't have exactly. So, <laughs> so we think that will means that there'll be a bit of a catch up uh, going into the Q4, and that will be generally good for the economy.
0: Yeah, and I think you know the the strong consumer sectors have shown up in the performance numbers. Consumer discretionary has gone up quite a bit in the past few years. Um, the last you know, this current year, uh, is still up about, uh, you know, 22% and we're talking about the S&P coming up about 24. So it's still in the numbers. Uh, it, it may be um, coming stronger if we continue to have uh, good employment and good housing.
1: Yeah, so let's just talk about the bond market quickly. So bond markets, we're still seeing the 10 year yield about 1.8 today. You know, when it trades between 1.7 and 1.9, that's usually technical. That's not, a, that's not a fundamental change in people's opinions about the direction of interest rates. It has settled higher than it was in the summer, where it got down as low as 1.5. Uh, and I think really, what it's absorbing is the fact that there'll be no more rate cuts. But this is a low, a low rate environment. And by the way, we've seen the inverted yield curve go away. So that's right, that's good. That's good. So I think you know, we our expectations are. Modest returns from bonds, but um, and they won't return the same sort of numbers they have this year, where a long term treasury would have put you up 12 13 percent. On the equity side, uh, I think the market has well absorbed the lower earnings which we're seeing year on year. They haven't got too freaked out about that. People are not sort of sending too bad, so it tends to be concentrated in the energy sector anyway.
0: Yeah, well, the companies were throwing in everything in the kitchen sink. So, you know, the numbers were expected to be bad. So it turns out it's not as bad. So it's been recognized also in the performance of the S&P and all the industry uh, sectors. Yeah, and it's not
1: expensive. Yeah, it's not expensive at all. It's it's around
0: 17, 16, 17.
1: Which is not cheap, but (laughs) it's not.
0: Well, but we're also in a low rate environment.
1: Exactly, no, I I think it's different. I mean, anything could throw a market off. You know, uh, a, a, a bad hair day on Mr. Trump's part, or a um, you know a, a flashpoint on the trade side. I mean, all these things are are uh, exogenous factors which can hit the market any day. But well,
0: between this and high yields, Christian, what would you pick?
1: I still think equities because yeah. I still think you know there's, you're you're going to get a bigger part of the bigger part of the growth and the high yield market. is pretty pretty constrained right now. Yeah. In other words, it's quite rich, quite expensive.
0: Yeah, agree. Um,
1: we've got one question on the Q&A. So it's, um, is, are we going to look at increasing exposure to Germany or just stay put? Probably just stay put. I think for the average growth and income investor, there's, uh, there's, a, there's an overall net exposure to Germany of, of maybe about 3%.
0: Yes, and our active managers also are picking um, stocks uh, in Germany, in France, um, and the emphasizing uh, England, Britain. Yeah. So you know, we we tend to have a slight overweight.
1: Yeah, and Germany basically look at the stock market, and it's it's uh, industrials, automobiles, <laughs> uh, chemicals, not far. Some now. banks. And a lot of banks yeah. uh, is basically the market. So I think what what the market is saying is that the auto side yeah. maybe uh, maybe not as bad as as, as, as they feared. So you know, it's come back pretty quickly. Yeah. So as we coast into the year end, uh, I think we're going to be able to, ha- you know, certainly hang on to these gains. Uh, the year on year numbers are going to look pretty good because a year ago we had, uh, you know, the the downturn in the market. Um, and, but for right now, it's been you know it's been a relatively good year despite all of these exogenous factors and noise, some which aren't particularly germane to the economy, even though they dominate our airwaves. Um, I had another question coming in. Any minor portfolio shifts in the next couple of quarters? What we're looking for is to see if there's a, a possible uh, re-entry point on treasury. We haven't really sold down treasuries, but if if the spreads on low rated corporate debt continue to contract, and that makes treasuries a little bit more attractive uh, but we probably have to see the ten year you know hold a position above two percent before we started to do this um, and also uh, uh and we're always sort of keeping an eye on relatively low weight to international um, about 15, 20% on, yeah. a, on the growth and income fund, which has been in the, in the US market is outperformed international. So that's been okay. That's um, But I think some of, those, some of those markets might have a, a better year in, in 2020 in, in relative as well as absolute terms. And then can we talk about the latest notes? Uh, so these are these buffer notes, which uh, we're beginning to, um, which we've been using on uh, quite a few client portfolios where essentially we try to get uh, Lock in a certain level of gain on on the upside against indexes like the S and P or international uh, or Europe or uh, emerging markets, and give some downside protection. Most of these are, you know, still in the money. Um, They've been offering protection during the course of the year, Um, and right now we're seeing terms which are not quite as good as they were a year ago. Because essentially, what you what you need for these terms to be on a one year Last year we were getting around 12 percent for a one-year return. Yeah, a little bit less now. That's because of the VIX. Nine and
0: what a less. half to about ten, depending on you know the, the time of day and also the time of the the month.
1: But we had higher volatility and higher rates, so right. that, I think that's part of the part of the deal. So I think uh, we like the notes. Um, you know, they they do dampen the volatility of the portfolio a lot, and they can. And they can turn out to be better than having the long position uh, in in some cases. Um, But certainly for what you're getting insurance at a quite a cheap rate. Um, So I think that's it. Um, So uh, um, again, if you have any other questions um, and there's not time to type them here, just feel free to send them over to us. And uh, we look forward to give us any feedback on this this new system. We'd be happy to be what it was like from a user end, um, be really helpful. And um, we will have one more call before the end of the year, so look forward to catching up with you then. And uh, it is now my pleasure and duty to read the disclosure Please note that the information provided in this presentation is for general information purposes only and should not be considered as an individualized recommendation or personalized investment advice. The investment strategy discussed in this presentation may not be suitable for everyone. Each investor needs to review an investment strategy of his or her own particular situation before making an investment decision or expressions of opinion on subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market or economic conditions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The opinion presented cannot be viewed as an indicator
0: of future performance.